Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can be seated just for a moment. I feel heaven among this congregation this morning because you have asked him here. You have welcomed him here with your worship. Amen. I appreciate the sensitivity of worship. Amen. I noticed as the course of the service was uh, going forth of how how pervasive worship was throughout throughout the congregation. A lot of times it is reserved for a few pews in the front, uh, maybe a particular family, sadly just for those on the uh, platform. But this morning it has just been from the front to the back. Amen. I believe that I am in good company today. I'm in people, company of people who are desiring a, and passioning a moving of the Holy Ghost in their life. Amen. I have desired to be closer to the Lord than I have ever been, more than ever. Amen. I am more resolute today than I have ever been living for God that I want to hear the Lord say, well done. I want to secure the favor of the Lord in my life. Amen. And I believe that you feel that way today. I'm so glad. I am thankful to be here, and uh, I am so glad that I'm here. I feel privileged uh, to be able to preach anywhere, but especially uh, to this congregation. Amen. I know that, Brother Boyd, you are incumbent with the responsibility of protecting this desk, and uh, understanding that, I certainly hold this opportunity and high esteem. Amen. I am, uh, I am sorry. I'm regretful that my family's not here. You don't miss them more than I do. Um, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, and uh, I appreciate your prayer for them. Um, I, I would like for them to be here. Amen. You want to know why I want them here? Not, not just because they're, it's my family, but this is the environment that I want my children to be raised in. This right here. Can, 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 I, can, can I be brutally honest with you that there are places that I go uh, that it is less than this? Worship doesn't exist. There's no passion. It becomes nothing more than a social gathering. Uh, we're here to make quilts, we're here to make jelly, we're here to make peanut brittle, we're here to, to fellowship, and there's no passion involved. You folks have demonstrated a passion for entertaining the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is the atmosphere that I want my children to be raised in. Amen. Amen. You are in a good place today. If you are a visitor, you have chosen a good time to be in the house of the Lord. 
Amen. And I want you to be as welcome as you can be. Uh, I want to take an opportunity to invite you back. Is that all right? <clears throat> let, me, let me read to you from the word of the Lord. Uh, I don't intend to be lengthy this morning, but I do have a lot on my heart that I want to tell you. I want to read to you from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you would like to stand and honor the word of the Lord, I have appreciated over the years my friendship here, uh, not only with this church, but with the Boyd family. And I was thinking last night as I was getting settled in, um, in such an excellent place to stay, um, of, of my visiting here over the years, I, I came with a little trailer, and we got a little bigger trailer, and uh, I came by myself, I came with a wife, then we came with a dog, and then we came with a kid, and came with another kid. Thank God we didn't come with three kids. <laughs> so, but over the years, as I have come, it just seems like I've grown up with you. Amen. And I appreciate your willingness to open your hearts uh, to, to me and my family and to my ministry. Matthew chapter 9, uh, let me read to you verse number 14. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 14. The scripture said, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber be mourned as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Then, then shall they fast. Verse number 16, the scripture said, No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. The rent, he said, is made worse. Amen. Savior, thank you today for this congregation, for their desire to worship you and for your willingness to visit with us. We are humbled by that, O oh God. I pray for an anointing today that will allow this word to be simplistic and yet sink into our hearts and sound profound. Let your servant speak with the tongue of the learned, and we be careful to praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. God bless all of you. I want you to notice in this reading here how God began to take a uh, object lesson and uh, show it to his disciples. Here is the disciples of Christ, and then here the disciples of John come and uh, questioning Christ and saying, we want to know why your disciples don't fast and we and the Pharisees fast oft. The Lord didn't simply pull out of the thin, clear blue sky uh, a particular point or subject and for no reason began to elaborate on that without knowing that there was a connection behind it. And so when the Lord tells in response to the disciples, John tells them that no man puts a piece of uh, new cloth onto an old garment. He had reason 
to say that. I want to use for a thought this morning why the new cloth won't work. There is a reason why that Jesus says the new cloth just won't work. Um, I, I was visiting a few days ago with uh, a good brother from Tennessee, and uh, he told me about his going into Portland, Maine area, and uh, something that he enjoys doing is finding old bookstores with uh, very old literature in them, just kind of going through the writings of, of 100 years, 200 years ago when he could find those. And uh, the little lady at the, uh, behind the counter asked my friend, an elder gentleman, said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Franklin, Tennessee, and I'm looking for books on, uh, on the Civil War. She said, well, you might want to look about the war between the states. She said, that's how we categorize them here. He said, well, that's a funny thing because where I'm from, and you've got to know my friend, he said, where I'm from, we call that the war of northern aggression. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just chuckled just like we did now, and Brother Boyd, I, we went on with the meal and our company, and uh, when I drove away from there, my mind begin to reflect back on the conversation and thought how intriguing it is that a position can determine a perspective on things. In Portland, Maine, uh, <laughs> it seems like that it went completely unscathed from the war. But where my friend is from, where he has lived all of his 68 years, uh, he has been surrounded by the history of one of the bloodiest battles that went on during the Civil War era. Almost 10,000 men died on that location. 44 buildings instantly became field hospitals. There are buildings there even now with the old original wood floors that are still uh, stained with the blood of those men as their wounded limbs were mutilated and the doctors would sew that even the footprints are, are void of blood where the doctors stood for hours while the blood was around them. The location of the surgical table has no blood under it, but all around is just stained from the blood of all those years ago. I, I began to learn a little history that before then I didn't know about Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, almost 55 commanding officers lost their lives there. 14 Confederate generals lost their lives. It was a massive loss for the Confederacy. Now, I'm not here advocating one or the other. That's your position. Now, what I am saying is that you can leave Franklin, Tennessee and go to Portland, Maine, and that was merely referred to as a war between the states. But those people who live in that era, in that time frame, that, that era that lives until today, uh, they view things a little differently there. Can I tell you on a spiritual uh, level this morning that your position can determine how you view the church, can determine your opinion of the church? Amen. It amazes me how... Those souls who worship the Lord for a little while, for a few months, 
and then get away from God, immediately the church becomes a house full of hypocrisy. The minister is just uh, capitalizing upon the weak who need a religion to crutch them up. They slander the church. They slander the ministry all on social media. Before long, when the wheels fall off of their life, they come back to God again, and immediately the church is their saving refuge, and immediately the pastor is the best thing since salt and pickles, and they just love everything there is to know about the church, and this cycle becomes vicious, and they're out again, and they're in again, and they're out again. The disciples of John wanted to know Why do we, and I find it fascinating that John's disciples could associate themselves with the Pharisees of that day. I find that intriguing, but he said, why do we and the the Pharisees fast off, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus plainly tells them that the children of the bride chamber can't mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. You may have reason to be sorry right now, but they've got everything they need because I'm with them right now. Amen. They've got all that they could ask for because I am all they could ask for. Hallelujah. You see, it is, and I learned this some time ago, we don't fast so that God can hear us. We pray so God hears us. We fast so we can hear God. And when the bridegroom is with them, Jesus said they'll fast later on because they're gonna wanna know what I gotta say. That this little time that I've with them has developed a hunger in their spirit that they cannot live without that they will become like the psalmist of old time, that I have esteemed your word above my daily necessary bread. That is what is important to us here today. We fasted because we want to hear from God. We have fasted because there's something about this atmosphere that we cannot live without. There's something about this atmosphere that we are so keenly aware that our children cannot be raised apart from what is happening right here in this building today. Jesus is making an example here and he's telling them that you cannot put a new cloth on an old garment because that new cloth will take away from the old garment and listen to what he said, the rent is made worse. Amen. You want to know the answer to why the new cloth won't work? It's because he said the rent is made worse. That's not just what you pay at the end of the month and the first of the month and that goes up. I'm not even speaking about that rent. This rent means a tear in the cloth. And when we try to live for God with a patch on our life, the tear is made worse than what the problem was. Can I qualify what I'm saying right now? If we get to the point to where we are satisfied every other Sunday or we become satisfied with a touch of God every once in a while, then we are trying to put a new cloth on an old garment 
And God is saying by his word that the tear in your life will be worsened by an attempt to try to patch it up. I can't be satisfied with trying to patch up a broken marriage. I've got to let God fix my broken marriage. I'm not meddling because I don't know your life, but I can't come to church every once in a while just to appease a local judge and mitigate a sentence that's pending upon my life. I've got to make sure that I have a relationship with God because I understand that the new cloth, a patch won't work on this life. Hallelujah. I've heard folks refer to what we have uh, as a as new wine, and, and, and I'm not trying to argue the point with anybody, but let me argue the point. I, I, I don't have new wine. I'm not drinking new wine. This is the vintage wine. It was the mockers on the day of Pentecost that called it new wine. It was the mockers on the day of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that marginalized the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But he said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. This is an old covenant prophecy that has materialized before your very eyes. Don't call this the cheap stuff. This is the premium. This is the vintage. I'm no wine connoisseur. I'm not, I don't do that, but I do understand a little bit about that because I've heard people say, this wine is 150 years old. This wine is from the 1700s. And it, it indicates to me that that wine has value more so than the $2 stuff. If I was a wine drinker, that's probably what I'd be a connoisseur of. It's the $2 stuff. So it tells me that some age on the wine puts value on the wine. You folks just got to know my pastor, but somebody asked my pastor one time and said, what branch of Pentecost are you? Oh, Lord. He said, excuse me? Well, what branch of Pentecost are you? He's almost 80 years old. He said, honey, I've been in this before it branched off. (laughs) I understand, saints of God, that there are times that we have battles. I understand that there are times when we have to fight just standing still because God told Israel sometimes, you just stand still. There were times they were not up for the battle. They weren't up for war because he knew that if they saw war, they'd run from it. But he said, if you just stand still, let me do the fighting for you. I'm gonna show you who it is that you're serving. I'm gonna show you what kind of power I have, how authority I have, what kind of demonstration I can do. But then there are other times when we do feel like this. I'm not saying our feelings should predicate whether or not we put our hands in the air, but don't let it determine whether or not you're gonna be in the church or not. Don't let it determine whether you're going to be here next Sunday throughout the revival. I can't live from God for 
meeting from camp meeting. I can't live for God from revival to revival. I gotta have that every day in my life. God, put your anointing on my house. Put your anointing on my children. Put your anointing on my marriage. Put your anointing on my mind. Put your anointing on my ministry. I can't go through this just patching it up every once in a while. I just need a prayer, just a little prayer every once in a while. Can I visit with you, Pastor, maybe Tuesday evening in your office and let you pray for me and, and talk to me and speak into my life and and I, I, I'll come back later on when things get bad again. And, and I just can't do that. The tear, he said, is made worse. You know, I've noticed about folks, I've noticed that whenever they attempt to patch it up, uh, I've seen them stand and say, well, we want to be baptized. And, and uh, we, we set a date and uh, if you can't do it today, how about Wednesday? How about Sunday? Uh, well, we want to get our folks in, and, and uh, we need to get some clothes, and uh, I want my children to be here, and I got an aunt from Waxhatchee, Texas, and we want her to come here, and we got to get everybody in here. We're talking about eternity. Man, let's, let's go to the watery grave. You've repented. You've lamented before God. Let's go to the water and bury that dead man. Call your family and tell them what's happening in your life. But before the service can come around where we're gonna baptize them, they'll be back in the crack houses, they'll be back in the jail. I'll ask somebody, where were they? Oh, you didn't know? They back in jail again. They got arrested for possession again. And I'm thinking, my God, what do we have to do to put in the hearts and minds of people to let God change you? You know what? You know what the apostle was teaching that his, his people he was mentoring to the church of Corinth? He said, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. It's not a big word. It has four letters in it. Edify, to improve upon one's mind or character. You know what the summation of my ministry is? To improve on how you think, to improve on who you are, to improve on how you live. I'm not telling you how to live. I'm telling you how to live more abundantly. Get rid of the patchwork. Get rid of trying to patch it up and let God clothe you with a new garment from the top throughout. Quit being satisfied with a little taste of the Holy Ghost every once in a while. Quit being contented with a little blessing every once in a while and choose to live in the favor and under the umbrella of his protection every day of your life. My children just know this is what defines daddy. They just know that. They don't have to wonder who dad is. What defines dad? Church. When you say Stacy Thomas, what defines him? Preaching. Church. Church preaching in the house of God. Who is that man? That's who he is. They don't need to see dad that worships every once in a while. Just so they can tell the lawyer, I've been to church the last three Sundays. Friend, I'm not concerned with how the world views me. My position today is what it was 25 years ago. The church is a saving refuge for me. It is a place of provision for me. It is a place of protection for my family. It is a place. 
It is a place where I'm building a legacy that wasn't handed to me that I can hand to them. Oh, hallelujah to God. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it was James who tells us in his very short epistle, James chapter one, verse four, but let patience have her perfect work, work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth or criticizeth not, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven of the wind and is tossed. Let not that man think he should receive anything from the Lord. Sounds tough, doesn't it? I, I, I wish I could preach something to make you shout. That's, that's a hard saying. That I can't receive anything from God if my life is a life of ups and downs and in and outs and wavering and worship today and criticizing tomorrow, loving the church today, despising the ministry next week. Friend, I want to be on Monday who I am on Sunday morning. I want to be to my community on Wednesday morning who I was to them at Sunday lunch in public. I don't want to live behind a veil of hypocrisy. I want to associate myself with holiness. God said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Be holy because I am. He didn't ask us to be all of who he is. I can't be all powerful and everywhere at the same time. But he said, you can be holy. You can be clean. You can be pure. You can be godly. You can have Christ-like character traits about you. But please, in all honesty, demonstrate the church every day of the week. Don't let the community see you in today and out tomorrow. And more specifically, don't let your family see you in today and out tomorrow because it's just putting a new piece of cloth on an old garment and the end result is a worsened life. Can't figure out why. Can't figure out why. I went to church twice last year. Can't figure out why everything's so wrong in my life. It's because Jesus said the tear in your life will be worsened by the fact that you've played with God and toyed with the church and just kicked the notion around about serving God. Maybe hung around on the fringes of what's been going on here this morning and appreciated it from a distance but never really got involved with it. Do you know how many people were fed by his blessing? Thousands, 5,000, not counting women and children. Put another thousand, uh, rather another individual upon the 5,000 and you've got 10,000. Double that considering they got an average of two kids. You've got 20,000. And here from the very epicenter of the miracle, here we are distributing the blessing and provision of God and only those that are very close to what's happening understand where that comes from. Yeah. 
Everybody on the outside of that crowd, they're just eating and enjoying the fish and the bread and they never understand who it was that provided the miracle for them. I can't be contented with patching it up. I gotta have a relationship with God. I I want you to help me please. I, I want you to put Leviticus chapter 7 up there. I know I didn't write that down for you. I kind of teased the sister about the, she asked about my scripture and I've, I've always played so close to the vest and I never really liked giving that out. And uh, now I'm just giving a little bit out so I've come a long ways. <laughs> I'll just give a little bit out. <laughs> I teased her and I said, well, the Lord hadn't given me that yet. So <laughs> it was right before service. Leviticus chapter 7, verse number 1. If you have found that, say praise the Lord. You see, it was so important for these people to get it right that in the day that they were to make an offering and build altars, that God says, this is God's instruction, likewise, is the, this is the law of the trespass or sin offering. It is most holy Verse number two says, verse number two says, in the place where they were to offer their offering for sin or their trespass offering would be the place where they would offer an offering for sacrifice. So it became an altar that served two purposes. In the place where they kill the offering, shall they kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about the altar. Now, the offering, as I've already mentioned, was a very holy place. And the offering in itself, the sacrificial offering, could have been used for any number of things. They could have killed an animal to uh, dedicate a piece of ground, to dedicate a new house. Um, they could have killed an animal and, and committed an offering to God just for sake of praise and worship unto him. But the offering for trans trespass, the offering for sin, was for no other reason. It was for no other purpose but to make atonement. It was for their sin. So you see, if there were times where they offered to God an animal, a sacrifice for a praise, he said that it would be in the same place that you offered your offering for your sin. So you follow what I'm saying now? Uh, some of you is with me. Let, let me bring it to the New Testament. There is no way that God will allow and accept from us an offering of praise in a place that we never gave him an offering of repentance. So if we are contented with just patching it up with a praise every once in a while, 
I want you to understand something. I I love those preachers and their ministries that they get us going and they make us stand up and they praise and praise and praise and praise. But for 24 years that I've preached almost, I have never centered my ministry around that every night, every service. There are times that you and I just need to come to God and repent. We can praise tomorrow night. But there's sometimes we got to get it right right now. There's some times that if we're going to offer an offering of praise, it has to be in a place where we have previously offered a sacrifice for repentance. Just merge in. Can, can I preach real to you? I put my watch on and I didn't even notice I got here it had four o'clock on it. So I don't know what time it is. Can I, can I just, I'm gonna, I'll just be honest with you. I've watched folks do this. I've watched folks come into our assembly and they are very reserved. I was reserved. I was. Uh, I'm not shooting anybody, but brother boy, I was raised Baptist. So you folks scared me to death. <laughs> and when I was 17 years old, I was introduced to this and I knew there was something real here. And then when they began to preach to me something that I have never heard anybody else preach to me, it piqued my curiosity, and I read more, and I found out nobody ever told me about repentance. Nobody ever told me about baptism in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Nobody ever told me that the promise of the Holy Ghost was unto me and to my children and to all them that are far off. But I was, I was mystified by this, and I was in, in much curiosity. I studied more and more, but what I have noticed in our assembly since I've been 17 was folks who merge in and circumvent the altar. They're kind of shy. They're kind of scruffy. They come in. Before long, they got a white shirt on. They got a necktie on. They move a little closer. Next time, they bring their Bible, and then they want to preach. Am I telling you the truth? Before long, they're around the front, and I'm still thinking, there was never an altar in your life, sir. Ma'am, there was never an altar in your life. There was never a time where you repented before God and the church prayed around you and they wept with you out of joy just like they do in heaven over every sinner that's repenting. And they merge in and four or five years gets down the road and by and large the church has forgotten there was never an altar in their life. I may be being too real for us, but... And then in another year or so, guess where rebellion comes from? Guess where the spirit of gossip is birthed from? It comes from the individual that never had an altar in their life. They only wanted an altar of praise and an altar of worship. They only wanted a patch on a problem that they never could fix by themselves. Oh, help us, God. Help us, Lord. Jesus was very clear to the disciples of John. You have associated yourselves with the personification of hypocrisy. And you want to ask me why my disciples don't fast? You have associated yourself with the corrupt of the day. You know what? 
when Jesus confronted adultery, he showed mercy. Whenever he was confronted by the sins of that day, he demonstrated compassion. He forgave their sin, showed long-suffering, sent them their way with a very forgiven, forgiven heart. But for the sin of hypocrisy, that's not how he demonstrated. He was in their face. And he called them vipers and hypocrites. And you have come past land and sea to find one. And when you found them, you have made them a twofold more child of hell than they were if you had just left them alone. You have showed them a veil of religion. You have showed them an outward appearance of piousness. But inside you are full of dead men's bones. You, and you want to tell me, disciple of John, that my disciples aren't fasting. The bridegroom is with them. You need not worry about them right now. But what you need to worry about, it's disassociating yourself with the likes of what you've been running with and patching up your life and find some people who can only be contented with the bridegroom in their home, with the bridegroom in their marriage, with the bridegroom leading their children. Oh, glory to God. I better stop. I'm digging, I'm digging too deep. If I could get some help, please, on the music. I would, I would love to say something that would challenge us to, to a place where we just cannot be satisfied living on the cusp of the, of the house of God, just on the very outward fringes. And I need to be right where all of that was happening today, right where all of the goings on was happening today. It seemed like what pulled the heartstrings of God was when these children started weeping before the Lord. You know why that is? It's because they don't need a patch yet. They want to be clean from the top throughout. Where is our position today? If we are where we should be, the ministry is the greatest thing that God could bless us with. He has completely abandoned a life of his own and chosen to follow the call of God. He is close to him. He is disciplined enough to seek after God, to find the direction of God's people. And I appreciate that. But when my position changes, he becomes a meddler. He becomes a man who is just making merchandise of men's souls. He becomes a man who is satisfied with what seems like a life of ease. Friend, don't let that fool you. 
And it all has to do with the position that you're in. Your spiritual position that you're in. Portland, Maine is going to see it differently than Franklin, Tennessee saw it. The sinner is going to see it differently than the redeemed sees it. But I don't want to leave them there, Brother Boyd. I don't want to leave often that status of seeing ministry in the church that way. Because the miraculousness of God is able to take the think tank of the sinner and work it to his benefit, not his benefit, the benefit, the benefit of that individual. You see, when a person finds himself so low in the decadence of sin, mystified by how they got there, when the man lays on the couch and stares up in the darkness, all of that bitterness begins to come out of him through his tears. When the mom is asked by the child, why were you and dad hollering like that? I believe that God will use sin against itself. Because even Jesus says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So what Satan will try to do to you, Jesus will turn it and give him a dose of his own medicine. Let, let, let me be clear. When the alcoholic gets so sick of his drunkenness, he's going to see the church differently. When the, when the adulterer gets so sick of his home being so cold, he's going to see his sin differently. He's going to view the church differently. How, how are you seeing this today? How are you looking at all of this? As they've seen and the children have worshipped and the people have worshipped and people's been prayed for and and I have preached to you the last several minutes. How, how do you view, what is your opinion of all of this? When the bitter is so sick of being bitter because they're so tired of being so uninvolved and not feeling the warmthness of God they used to feel, that God will use bitterness against bitterness and will bring them back to him just has a way of putting appeal back on the church. I hope I haven't been too long today. I feel the Lord just hovering around us. I feel God just hovering around us. I have I have learned so much about the Lord these past couple of years and what he can do in a man's life. I've watched the broken be put back together. 
I've watched as the alcoholic came to God. I've watched as God has restored the hearts of the fathers to their children. And I have seen the mercy side of God that before then I only thought that I saw. Why don't you come today, sir? God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. The bridegroom wants to spend a little time with you today. He wants to spend a little time with you. How does that feel to be a child of the bride chamber? Never quite felt that way before, have you? We're not satisfied with a blessing every once in a while. We're not contented with an occasional trip to church. God put church in us. As they sing and entertain what we feel here today, I want you to seek Him. With a whole heart, would you seek Him? If it's appropriate, maybe you'd like to pray with somebody standing beside you. Maybe they just need the touch of a friend to usher them into a place that they haven't been in a long time. Holy Ghost. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.